Yes, Lord, we give you thanks. We give you praise because of your great name, because of your great salvation. What you've done for us, Lord, is unimaginable. That we, as, as our pastor pointed out weeks ago, not just being undeserving, but being ill-deserving, you still reached out in love to us. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your great gift of salvation. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. Hey, we ask that you would uh, fill out this uh, little white card. It's called a connection card. And maybe you're with us for the first or second time. We would love to know who you are. And on the back of that card, you can find out, uh, ask for more information about the church. What does it mean to join the church? What does it mean to have a relationship with Christ, to be baptized, all those things. And for the rest of us, we all have the opportunity to uh, offer a prayer request. Pastor and staff, every Tuesday morning, will be faithful to pray for those. So please uh, take advantage of that, and we'll put that in the offering plate at the end of the service. Um, yep, got to find my place here. As Brother Philip comes today, he's going to be talking about verse 4, that we are called to holiness, to blamelessness. And I got to thinking about this song that we're just going to uh, share today that reminds us that, that uh, we need to uh, just, just remind ourselves, Lord, every day I'm going to build my life upon your love, upon your word, upon your foundation. Amen? So let's sing this, this song together. Song we could ever sing, worthy of all the praise we could ever breathe, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say, worthy of every breath we could ever breathe, we live for you. We live for you. Jesus, the name above every other name. Jesus, the only one who could ever say. Worthy of every breath we could ever breathe. We live for you. Called to be holy and blameless. 
we need to decide right now what we're going to build our life on. Let's sing it together. Would you stand with me and sing it? Oh, I will build my life upon your love.
our season of prayer time, praying for the world, our nation, for lost souls. And let's uh, let our focus just continue to be what we just sang. Lord, make me, we are the, our bodies are the temple of the Lord, right? Right. Amen. And so we know this. And so we're either going to be a temple that projects his holiness, that projects his goodness, that projects his salvation, or we're going to be a poor temple. That's not a good witness. We want to be the former. Amen. So let's just pray that we are that temple of the Lord that ushers in His His will and His way in this world. Let's pray. humbly become, come before you and Lord ask that you hear our prayers that we would be holy and blameless before you that we our bodies would truly be your holy temple a great witness to a lost and dying world and it's in Christ's name we pray amen you may be seated shortly after the reformation uh, a group of Believers, theologians got together and, and formed what they called the Heidelberg Catechism. And catechism is basically just a teaching tool. It starts with a question, and then it gives a biblical answer. Well, their, their first question was, what is our comfort in life and death? And, of course, the overwhelming response is what? Christ alone. And, and so this song last year was created by Getty Music, and, uh, and, and that basically is, is the premise of the song. Also, in the second verse of the song, it talks about the biblical concept of storms in our life and, and how those storms will, will sometimes draw us closer to Christ. And, and uh, Charles Spurgeon actually said that way, way back, uh, way before this song was ever written. He said, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. So my question to you is today, do you have some waves? Are they throwing you up against bitterness and confusion and distress and despair? Or are they throwing you up against the rock of ages? Let's be sure it's the latter. Amen. Listen to this and then join along with us. What is our words with us. What truth can calm the troubled soul? God is good, God is good. Where is His grace and goodness known? In our great Redeemer's blood, who holds our faith when fears arise, who stands above. Oh 
King. Christ, he lives, Christ, he lives, and what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him, there we will rise to meet the Lord, then sin and death will be destroyed, and we will feast in endless joy. Some uh, responded to last week's sermon. People went by me going out, and some were visitors, and some were church members, and they said things like, that was medicine for my soul. And I was like, well, praise the Lord, that God would use the Scripture in such a way. But I'm sure that some of you felt like you were swimming in Ephesians 1-4, and you were about to drown, right? I'm sure that was the case for some. Richard Benfield told me, going out, he said, preacher, I thought you brought it down there where even a redneck like me could understand it. You know, that's pretty encouraging for someone to say, hey, even a redneck got that. So praise the Lord for it. Okay. We have uh, sought in our study to uh, talk about the fact of election in that one sentence. He chose us. Subject, verb, direct object. We talked about that particular truth. We talked about the nature of election the Bible says, in Christ. And then we discussed the fact of election, which is before the foundation of the world. And today we're going to have the joy of talking about the purpose of election, which the text clearly unfolds three of those for us. That we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. That's one. That we are adopted into His family according to the purpose of His will. And third, all of this is done for the purpose of His glorious grace. That is the quintessential reason and purpose. So we're kind of uh, backtracking, I get that, but three times in this text, it is mentioned that your salvation is due to the praise of His glorious grace. Verse 6, to the praise of His glorious grace. Verse 12, to the praise of His glory. And verse 14, to the praise of His glory. And what that means is this, in the realm of discussing salvation... Ephesians 1 makes it absolutely abundantly clear that God is the one who gives salvation to mankind and God is the only one that deserves the credit for it. And He alone should always receive the glory for the redemption of mankind. Now, did you know that not all believers believe in the unconditional electing love of the grace of God to save sinners? Okay? We get that. All right? There are many that you would not believe it is unconditional. You would think that it's conditioned upon something. Faith, belief is conditioned upon that. Okay? Well, not everybody believes that. But one of the objections to unconditional, meaning there's no conditions in you that God saw in order to save you. Got it? Unconditional election of sinners. Some people would argue that here's my objection. If you guys believe in the unconditional election of sinners... 
and our response is only to believe the gospel by grace through faith, then that will make you less than a zealous Christian. As a matter of fact, if you believe that you're fine and you're on your way to heaven, you've been elected by God, then uh, maybe that would encourage you to be someone who doesn't pray a whole lot. Someone who does not strive for personal holiness because you know it's all going to work out in the end. Did you know that's the same argument people use for eternal security? Once saved, always saved. They say, well, if you believe in once saved, always saved, then you can live like the devil. And when it's all said and done, you can go on to heaven. Well, folks, I want to remind you first that you're not a Christian if you think you can live like you want to. Number two, according to this particular text of Scripture, the very first purpose given in this text for your election is so that it is unto holiness and blamelessness in love before Him. Okay? So, we get the joy of unpacking that one. You have three divisions in your sermon outline. We're only going to do the first one. Okay? You ought to be thankful for that. But Kansas City doesn't pay play to like 3.30, so you guys are good. Right? I looked it up because some of you give me grief on that. All right. So, uh, I would submit that our passage today refutes that understanding that if you believe God is sovereign in your salvation, that it would lead you to uh, a lack of personal holiness. Don't believe that whatsoever. Let's draw our attention. Worthy of blessing and honor is going to carry us all the way down through verse 14. But today, the subtitle is The Purpose of Election. Okay? Listen to the word of the Lord. Ephesians 1, verse 3. Y'all believe this is God's word? All right. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy. Uh, this, this clause, that we, infinitive clause, so that we should be holy. You can't get any clearer than that, right? That the purpose of election is that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love, He predestined us for the adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, which He has blessed us in the Beloved. So the first point, God chose us to be holy and blameless. When I was a kid, I learned a song called, He's Still Working on Me. He's still working on me. Sing it, Lord, to make me what ought to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, sun and the earth and Jupiter and Mars. How loving and patient he must be. He's still working on me. Look at this verse. There really ought to be a sign upon my heart. Don't judge me yet. There's an unfinished part. But I'll be perfect just according to his plan. I'm fashioned by the master's loving hand. Somebody read Ephesians 1 before they wrote that song. You do understand that election is unto holiness and blamelessness before Him in love. So those whom God chooses, He chooses for a purpose. And that purpose is plainly stated, holy and blameless before Him in love. Now, grammatical issue we must deal with quickly. Notice, the Bible says at the end of verse, uh, in the, well, in the middle of verse 4, long sentence, right? Holy and blameless before Him. How many of you have a copy of God's Word where it says, In Him, after, before Him? Before Him, in, love, period. Okay, some of you are shaking your head. Okay, some of you will have a translation that in Him begins the next sentence. In Him, He predestined. Okay, the grammatical situation is, does that preposition follow before Him? Before him in love, or does it begin the next sentence? Prepositions move the world, right? But in this case, both are true. He predestined you in love, and you are called by God to be blameless, holy, and blameless before him in love. So the question is who's right grammatically? Well, I can't be dogmatic. Y'all know me that well, right? That much? I'm never dogmatic on anything, okay? But here, I must not be dogmatic because scholars disagree. But the scholars I trust the most believe that it follows before Him in love. So it should read, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him in love. There's another grammatical reason and argument for this is the fact that in, in Ephesians 1, 4 through, 3 through 14, 
most of the time, the prepositions modify what comes before them. Okay? So it would be a little out of the ordinary for the preposition to begin the sentence. Not impossible. So, I can't be dogmatic on that. But the way I'm going to preach this text is that it says, Holy and blameless before Him in love. There is another text, 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 through 13, that connects directly blamelessness and holiness with love. Okay, Paul does that in another. I'm not saying because he does that, this is uh, airtight, but it's important for us to think about that. But ultimately, no matter where it falls, uh, there's no uh, doctrinal issue going on at stake here. So we will take it to mean that when God chose you in Him, He did so that you would be holy and blameless before Him in love. Again, the ultimate purpose of our salvation is is of the praise of His glorious grace. When it's all said and done and all of history is over, right? Let it be said to all of us that no one will ever get the praise for our salvation other than God. It's always to the praise of His glorious grace. And much of this comes down to who does what in salvation because it ultimately hits on who gets the glory in one's salvation. So God's electing grace is unto holiness. Now, if we start talking about holiness or holy and blameless before Him in love, we have to ask ourselves the question, when is this? Is this positionally now, right, that Paul is only dealing with holy living and blamelessness before Him in love now, or is there a forward look to the consummation of the age? Okay, And the reason I tell you that is because Uh, It's not clear in this particular case, but the fact is there are different times when the Scripture will speak of holy and blameless in the context of how you're living your Christian life now, that you ought to live holy and blameless. But there are other times it talks about being holy and blameless before Him at His parasua, which is what? At His coming, we we will be holy and blameless, which obviously is important for us to think about because that is absolutely true for us. But what is the fruit of God's electing love in time and space? What is the fruit of God's electing love right now? Like the day you trusted Christ, there has to be some fruit of your transformed life. Are y'all following me? And what is that fruit? Well, the Bible would tell us that it is faith, obedience, Works, you're not saved by works, but you're saved unto works. Holiness, blamelessness, and love. God chooses for himself a people so that his people will be holy. Now, does election undermine personal holiness? I think not, folks. I really believe, according to this text, that it is actually the election of sinners that actually establishes and guarantees personal holiness. It is a sad position to be in to wonder whether God's purpose in saving you will ever come to fruition. But I've got news for you, it will. He that began a good work in you will be faithful. Who began the work? You. He who began the good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the day of the redemption of our souls. Most people think it all comes down to individual will. Well, I don't know what you think about this, but reading this text makes me have hope that God... The God that chose me before the foundation of the world will accomplish His purpose in us. And I will not remain unchanged and in the shackles and bondage of sin forever. Isn't that awesome? We're going to talk about sin in a few moments and you might get very uncomfortable. So let me just go ahead and put the line out there to you. Peter O'Brien says it like this. Again, we see election arose entirely from His grace. For if His intention was that we should be holy and blameless in His sight then when He chose us, we must have been unholy and blameworthy in His sight, and therefore deserving judgment rather than adoption. If God chose you so that you would be holy and blameless, then what were you before He chose you? Folks, this all goes back to the fact that it's nothing that He saw in you, period. That you were actually unworthy before Him, and blameworthy, okay? And um, not holy, unholy. Right? The scripture says that in Romans 5, 6. But God commends his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. So, electing grace 
assumes your guilt, and guarantees the grace that will change your life. Folks, never, ever, ever forget that statement. That God's electing grace assumes your guilt because everybody in this room was guilty as charged. Right? It assumes your guilt, but guarantees that grace will change your life. Augustus Top Lady wrote a song called Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. Don't y'all know that one? Rock of Ages, Cleft for Let me hide myself in thee. Did you know that he actually wrote another one called How Vast the Benefits Divine? What an awesome song. Here's the first verse. How vast the benefits divine which we in Christ possess. We are redeemed from sin and shame and called to holiness. Tis not for works that we have done. These all to him we owe. But he of his electing love salvation does bestow. Woo! I think top lady read Ephesians chapter 1. Don't y'all? I mean, it just flows directly from Ephesians chapter 1. We're chosen to be holy. And this infinitive phrase, so that. In other words, the goal of your salvation is unto holiness and blamelessness in love before the Lord. Now, we know that the old covenant dealt with holiness, purity issues, right? That there, if you were going to bring a sacrifice, it, there were certain requirements for that sacrifice. Everybody awake? Come on, look at me. There were requirements. I see you dozing on me already. You're going to glaze, glaze over like a donut and you won't get any of it. Okay? You got to stay with me. So, has that holiness and purity code changed in the New Testament? In other words, when you see the word blamelessness, it is actually equivalent to the Old Testament word without blemish. Okay, so we're dealing with sacrifice. We're dealing with holiness issue. Paul will actually begin Ephesians chapter 4 with this, these words, walk worthy of the calling which you have. In other words, so the ethical aspect doesn't go away, does it? When you get to the New Testament, uh, how might we translate these words holy and blameless? Did you know you've already been uh, introduced to the word holy? To the saints. That's the word hagios. And this is the same word, hagios. So it's holy. That's what this term is. But both words describe the unblemished animals that were set apart Four sacrifices to God in the Old Testament. If you want to read this on your own time, Ezekiel, uh, I'm sorry, Exodus 29, 37 through 38, and then it's reiterated in Hebrews 9, chapter 14. It was used in reference to ethical purity. Now note this, flip over a couple of books to your right, and listen to what Paul says in Colossians 1, verse 22. You stay with me, okay? Listen. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Does this still have ethical connotations? Absolutely, it does. Ephesians 1.4 gives us the same thing. The emphasis is certainly on ethical holiness and freedom from moral blemish. Here these expressions are used in Philippians chapter 1. Listen to what Paul would say. Verse 9. Actually, verse 10 is good enough. So that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. And then 1 Thessalonians 3, 3, 12 through 13, we have very, almost the very same thing. 1 Thessalonians 3, 12 through 13, listen to the word of the Lord. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with the saints. Colossians 1.22 reiterates that. Ephesians 5.27, let me show you one more, then we're going to set sail for a minute. Chapter 5, verse 27. What's this in the context of? The husband and wife relationship. And then he comes back and says, Well, it's not just the husband and wife, it's actually the church too. Listen, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So, my point is to tell you that when it says he's going to present us holy and blameless before him, it certainly means that when Jesus Christ comes from heaven, his people will be presented to him holy and blameless before him. Okay, 
Uh, over and over again, it's mentioned at the parasua that when he comes, that that will be the case. However, does that, is that the only thing it means? That is only for the future? Or is there some kind of connection with your life today in holiness and blamelessness? Before him in love. I'm glad you ask. Because there is. Right? It is clearly given to us. The scripture speaks of a holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Hebrews 12, 14. So this is a holiness that is progressive. And it's wrought within the lives of the, of the people of God through the Spirit of God. God chose us and saved us in order for us to have a divine intention put in us. Now... This intention is for holiness. I think Baptists and all believers need to gain a biblical understanding of what it means to be holy. I think we need to, under, I think we need to have a desire within us to be holy people. Or a desire for holiness. McShane, the great preacher, said, My greatest desire in life is to be a holy man. So, remember at the basic level, what does it mean to be holy? That God chose you and set you apart from, talk to me, sin. And he set you apart unto service to God. Remember when we unpacked uh, the word saints? And we, we learned that all Christians are saints and all saints are Christians. If you're not a saint, then you ain't. Right? Okay? Think about that. It's not priesthood. It's, I mean, it's not... Uh, sainthood that you evolve into, you're pronounced a saint the day you trust Christ. And you're saved. So, think about prepositions move the world. So, to be holy means you're set apart from sin. Right? Uh, Romans 6. uh, He that is dead is free from sin. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid! How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer in it? So we're set apart from sin, and we're set apart unto the service of Christ. Now, I'm less concerned with you believing in election as I've explained it to you from the Bible. In other words, I'm less concerned with you believing unconditional election by grace of sinners. I'm less concerned with that. I am more concerned that the fruit of holy and blameless in love is in your life. Because guess what? If it's not, you're lost. I'm way more concerned with this point of the purpose of your very salvation, which is holy and blameless before Him in love. Okay? Now, what does it mean to be separated from sin and the world? It means there's something that theologians used to call mortification of the flesh. You ever heard of that word, mortification? Only dead theologians talked about mortification. My favorite theologians in the world are dead. It's just the way it is. So, Mortification. What does that mean? It means to put to death the deeds of the flesh. The deeds of the flesh are designed, are actually described for us in the Bible. Uh, just stay where you are and let me read a couple of those to you. Colossians chapter 3, verse 5. Listen, are y'all watching? This is very important. There should be some divine introspection in your own heart of whether you're saved or not by listening to this. Listen. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Y'all know what it's like to do that? Sexual immorality. Mm. Anybody have a problem with that one? When all we see on TV is sex and lights. That's it. You ever have a problem with sexual immoral thoughts? Or maybe even the actions that are sexually immoral. Put it to death. Impurity. Passion. Evil desire. Covetousness. Which is idolatry. Note verse 6. On account of these things, the wrath of God, present tense, is coming. So, there's the mortification of these things. Part of being holy is to recognize that there's areas of your life that God says are disobedience and sin. And you therefore listen to the Lord God and you know it. On the other hand, there ought to be an absolute determination within you because of the grace of God, because your life has been transformed, because your heart has been transformed, that you do battle against those things. I hear no amens. You do battle Against the deeds of the flesh. Herein is fruit and proof that you're elect and that you're saved. That you do battle against those things that are contrary to the nature and character of our holy God. We cannot make peace treaties with secret sins. I need to say that again. We cannot 
and must not make peace treaties with precious, secret sins. I remember Sam Cathy was my greatest, the greatest evangelist in my era that ever lived because he preached the truth to church, churches and he wouldn't back down. He would always say, you know why you sin? Because you like it. He'd point that little knobby finger in that ball head. And I was like, Ooh, yeah, you're right. We, you're right, Papa Sam. We, we certainly have these sins. And the reason we do it is because we like it. Living a life of holiness is all about war, folks. Part of being holy is that you feel the pain when you disobey the sovereign God of the universe. You think about that electing love and how God would love you with an unconditional love before the foundation of the world. And your heart is grieved when you grieve the heart of God. Anybody getting this? Part of being holy is that you feel the pain of disobedience. You feel the pain of corruption in your life. Within the heart of every elect child of God is a sense of an all-out warfare. That I'm going to get my hands wrapped around that sin, precious though it is. And I'm going to choke the life out of it. You ever been there? Am I the only Christian in here? Hello. Are y'all listening? Do you feel the weight of this? Folks, every bit of it comes from the electing love of God. That he has put this purpose in you. That you are going to fight against sin and have a desire for holiness. In other words, as John Owen once said, I'm going to give that sin new wounds every single day. He's a good old Puritan. You ought to read about him, right? You ought to read the Puritans. This is a process, folks, of putting to death the deeds of the flesh. Our prayer is that the more we put it to death, they're weakened, right? In the model prayer, the Bible says, Jesus said this, Father, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Have you ever met a mean old person? Yeah, I've been around some of them. I remember growing up in Bowman Baptist Church, and we went, I went to some church business meetings. Back then, it should have been called the war zone, right? And I saw older men act out, men that I admired, some that taught my Sunday school classes. I'm like, what in the world is going on? And I remember my dad saying, you know, some older folks are mean as a junkyard dog. That's a Georgia expression, right? Okay? And I could never grasp that. I couldn't get it. And my dad said, let me remind you of something. A lot of people say that you get meaner as you get older. He said, that's just something that is a personality thing with older people, and we just live with it. My dad said, you know, we don't live with it. You know why? Because if they were mean when they were old, they were mean when they were young. There's a lot of truth to that, is there not? So I'm just trying to tell you that no matter what your age is, you are called by God to do battle against the deeds of the flesh. This is never going to go away until you die and meet Jesus face to face. And part of what it means to be holy is that the electing, part of what this means is the electing purpose of God in you is to make you holy. He that began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in you. Now you may uh, start to put to death some sin and it may lay dormant and five years later, bang, it's right in front of your face. And again, it is the, it is it is the heart transformed. It is the mind transformed by God that begins to do battle against that particular sin. In other words, this is something you're going to do from dusk till dawn until you see Jesus face to face. Folks, do you have that in you? Do you have that desire to battle against sin? But also being holy means bringing life that has the characteristic of the fruit of the Spirit. So in other words... It is bringing to life obedience and characteristics in you that mark the children of God. So in other words, think about it this way. To be holy doesn't only mean that you're just hacking and whacking sin and putting everything to death. It also means that you're cultivating and you're watering and you're nurturing the fruit of the Spirit of God in your life. Holiness is not becoming just becoming less sinful. It is also becoming more like the God you belong to. Right? It is becoming more like Jesus. To be holy means that your increasing desire is to be conformed to the image of Christ. And I must show you this, just to get you on the same page. You understand that your conformity to the image of Christ is also predestined by the Father. 
Colossians, Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Listen. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Folks, it's not accident. It's not an accident that you have within you a desire to say no to the deeds of the flesh and to mortify them and to say yes to the things of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit is in your life and your ultimate desire is to be conformed to the image of Jesus. I'm convinced that for Baptists, if there is a rapture that seven years prior or begins the tribulation, for most Baptists it's going to be more like a rupture than a rapture. Why? Because we are so unlike the God that we belong to. It's unbelievable. I think today it's, it's evident that Christians, progressive Christians, can be anything they want to be and just claim the name of Jesus. Or there's not a desire in holiness, right? Because the Bible says specific things that are sins. Homosexuality, transgender, abortion. You, you begin to wonder and look at certain platforms and it looks more like Romans chapter 1. Right? And you have to, look, we need a personal inventory check on what it means to be holy and what it means to walk with Christ. But holiness is God's work in us, both heart and conduct. All right. Have y'all had enough of this holiness thing? How about the next one? Blameless. Wow. Y'all want to do a poll today of blameless? Somebody stand up and say, I'm, not, I'm blameless. Anybody? Okay, again, if we're thinking positionally, when Jesus returns or you die and see him face to face, absolutely, you're holy and blameless. Why? Because of Christ. But on earth, when Paul uses that word blameless, at times he will use it in a totally different way. Philippians chapter 2. Let me show you. Verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not, all, only, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. That's a pretty good balance, isn't it? Let your salvation work out of you. Why? Because God is working in you for his good pleasure. Now verse 14. Here's a good word for Baptist. Do all things without grumbling. I've done this before, you're right. Murmur. Try to smile and say murmur. 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 Just remember how you look when you smile and murmur, right? Do all things without murmuring, grumbling, or disputing. Listen to this. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish. What? In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. So in other words, if, if we might narrow it down to say holy is what God is doing in you and for you and through you because of the Spirit of God in you, desire to be conformed to the image of Christ. But blamelessness is what the world thinks about you. Or it's what is seen on the outside. Because Paul is saying you live this way before a crooked and perverse generation. So it has to be something of the fruit on the inside that's actually coming out on the outside. And then the text says this. When you shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. So this blamelessness has all to do with how you're living out your life in front of others. Holy. Doesn't mean you're perfect, but it means it's indicative of the fact that you belong to Christ. There's a death to self. There's a life to Christ. There's a desire for holiness of the fruit of the Spirit and, and the like of what Scripture teaches. But on the flip side, there's this blamelessness. Again, that's a word that's used of Jesus. He was the lamb without blemish. So, here in contrast, Paul is saying that blamelessness can actually be lived out for people on the outside. Now, question. Are you barren of glaring moral defect? Blameless. Blameless. To be blameless means that no one can come to you, point a finger at you, lay moral blame on you in such a way that your testimony is turned upside down and ruined. Has this ever happened to churches? To be blameless doesn't mean that you are barren of warts. Now, I'm not talking about your favorite wart that's somewhere on your body. I'm talking about spiritual warts, right? Don't we all have them? We all have these. I would say blamelessness is more in line that you are not suffering from moral cancer. Okay? That's more in line with what Paul is pointing out 
here. Can those around you testify of your good character and your good integrity? Men, is there anyone on the job who can point a finger at you? You know this, right? And they say things like, well, that guy claims to be a Christian. But his speech actually nullifies his faith because of his mouth. And what's coming out of it. Ever been there, folks? In a crooked and perverse generation, those in the world should be able to look at you and declare that your talk measures up with your walk and vice versa. That makes sense? Blamelessness before the Lord. This is what God chose you for. Holy and blameless. How are you doing with the holiness thing? How are you doing with the blamelessness thing? Have you ever been out in the community and somebody says, I cannot believe, hands on the hips, I cannot believe that so-and-so goes down the First Baptist Church Ozark. Are you kidding me? Does that grieve you when you hear that? Have you ever had somebody say that to you? Because they've watched the person's lifestyle, and they said, I cannot believe that that person... Now, you know that hurts the church, doesn't it? How much more so does it hurt the Savior who died for you? When we claim to be born-again believers... As Papa Sam used to say, I'm pointing one finger at you, but I'm pointing four, four back at me. Right? We're all guilty. We're all guilty. We're all in this together. Okay? If our conduct is blameworthy, and it's often a reflection on the church that we attend. I can't believe that person goes to FBC Ozark. Well, then how much more is it a reflection on the God who chose us and saved us? What does it do to our Savior that we profess? Do any of us live free? And we're morally clean? Nope, but what's the difference? What is the difference? Well, here's the difference. You know it when you blow it. Amen? Have you ever lost your temper with your spouse? You ever lost your temper with your child? You ever lost your temper with someone you work with? Have you ever let a profane word slip out of your mouth on the job? Here's what you do. In order to attempt to be holy and blameless, you buck up before God and men, and you ask for forgiveness, and you repent because you belong to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? I should have got more amens than that. This is what it means to hold fast the word of life. Philippians chapter 1, I mean chapter 2. This is what it means to shine as lights in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. How many people own their sin among this perverted, crooked generation? How many are willing on the job to say, you know what, I blew it. And I belong to Jesus Christ and I'm not supposed to live that way. Will you forgive me for what I just said or how I just acted? Is anybody getting this? Holy and blameless before him. If you can act one way in church, y'all listening? And an ungodly way out there in the world and not repent, then you're lost. There's no way around it. Now, I say that tongue in cheek, but the fact of the matter is, at some point, God will smack you. He will get your attention. Why? Because the Bible says, Whom the Lord loves, He scourges every one that belongs to Him. And if you do not receive chastisement, you're an illegitimate child. Clearly, is what the Bible says. So, these things are real, ladies and gentlemen. Holiness and blamelessness. If we see this as totally future, obviously before Him, which is coming in the future, that's awesome. But this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to live your life out. Okay? It says before Him. Holiness, holy and blameless before Him. Y'all see that? Now, does this mean before Him at His coming? Or does it mean before Him in life right now? Well, I think it's both and. Did you know that as a believer, you're always living your life out before God? I mean, your secret sins you know about, but I'm telling you, there's one who knows it. His watchful eye is always upon us. Look, there's nothing static about a Christian life that has always lived under the watchful eye of a sovereign God. Our God knows. And when you live your life like that, that everything you do, everything you say, everything you act upon is before Him, would that not make a difference in this world today? Would it not make a difference? We live life knowing that God sees. Mm. When you buy something, I've had this temptation before and so have you. And they give you about 10 bucks more change than you should have gotten. How many of you turn around and give it back to them? That's the ethical thing. You know why? Because you live your life before God. What about your taxes? Uh Uh-oh. 
I done gone to meddling, right? How about on your taxes? God knows. He sees. Are you living your life out before Him? God chose you to live a life before Him. Note that final preposition. In love. He chose us to live a life of holiness and blamelessness in love. What is this? Love to who? Vertically, to God. And horizontally, to one another. We're a community of faith living life together under the Word. It's the greatest explanation of a church. Live life together under the Word. So, our holiness and blamelessness consist in love. Is love not the very heartbeat of holiness? How are you able to love Him? Because 1 John says we love Him because He first loved us. John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loves is born of God. But he that loves not knows not God, for God is love. Let's ratchet this up a little bit. What did Jesus say? All right, here we go. How many of you love the Lord? Raise your hand. How many of you obey Him? Raise your hand. Uh Uh-oh, what happened? The Scripture says, if you love me, hmm, if you love me, look, do you understand that your holiness, deeds of the flesh, mortification, desire to be conformed to the image of Christ, living blameless before this world, it's all in love. If not, it becomes a routine. It becomes something that is missing the circulatory system that it needs, which we live before God in love. We live before our fellow man in love. By the way, what did Jesus say would be the mark of his disciples? Y'all know it. They will know that you are my disciples because you love one another. This is a quote by Andrew Lincoln. Listen close. In this reference, he's speaking of this verse, text, we have a theocentric perspective that predominates. Check this out. For a life of holiness, blamelessness, and love has its source in and is a response to the gracious election of God and is lived out before Him. That is, we are conscious that God's presence and God's approval are one's ultimate environment. Man, that's an I wish I'd have said that. What a statement. Think about this. We are conscious that God's presence and God's approval are one's ultimate environment. Do you live that way? We are called to fight all the way to the end because He will complete this in us. He that began the work will be faithful. Election by God is the primal blessing of all blessings. Our God deserves exuberant praise for such blessing. Brings comfort because He that began that good work will complete that work in us. Do you feel as though you've not been living as you should as a believer? You say, well, my goodness, preacher, after hearing what you're preaching, yeah. If you can come to a place where you can repent, then don't, don't miss the text. Don't you understand that it is the very movement that has been secured by God's electing love that causes you to be in a place where you can't even repent? Don't y'all see? There's not even a chance of repentance were it not for God's electing grace and love upon your life. You need to thank God Almighty. Why do you think Paul... Praise God so much. What was his testimony? Oh, persecutor of church, of the church. Trying to kill anybody associated with the way. Trying to do everything possible to stamp out Christianity. A hater of Christ. And all of a sudden, once his heart is transformed, what happened? Paul knew full well that God began that work. And he knew full well that God would complete it in him. So, it's God's electing grace that draws you to repentance. It is God's electing grace that motivates you to live a life of holiness. It is God's electing grace that motivates you to grab that sin by the neck and choke it to death. It is God's electing love that motivates you to, be, to bring forth fruit of the Spirit and be conformed to the image of Jesus. Where does this motivation come from to live for God? God started that work in eternity past, and by God Himself, He will complete it. God will do it. Christian, I pray that you know something of the transforming power of God's grace in your life. When it, when it all comes down to it, folks, this is it. We can argue all day about unconditional election, of which I personally believe 100% is in the Bible. That God saves you not because of foreseen faith, not because of anything you could ever do on your own. He saved you totally and solely by free and sovereign grace. And He did it before the foundation of the world so that you were not on the scene and you couldn't say a word. 
I believe that. But the most important thing today is not to bash people who don't believe that. The most important thing today is for you to make sure that you are holy and blameless before Him in love. That is vitally important. Why? Because in time and space, that's the proof that you have to know that you're saved. If there's no conviction of sin, there's no spirit living in you. Right? If there's no desire for conformity to the image of Jesus Christ, then something's wrong. If you never have desire for the things of God, men, if your wife has to stiff arm you and punch you in the back of the head to get you to come to church, you've got to stop and say, well, what's wrong? I mean, if, if it's a chore to come to the house of God and sing, I mean, and when you're sitting there, I'll turn around and look at some of you. And you just look. No singing. Now, if we went over to a football game with the Razorbacks and the Missouri, what's the last name? Tigers? Yeah. Like, what, what's that? If, well, I don't know all those teams that are not really in the SEC. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> but, you know, just think about it. You have a 75-year-old woman sitting in that stand, in the stands. And she's sitting there with a hot dog and a drink. And she's ready to get out on the football field and cheer. Blood makes the grass grow. Kill, kill. Blood makes the grass grow. It's amazing what these dignified church women will do at a ball game. Right? Think about it. Hot dogs flying up in the air and drinks going everywhere. You get to the church, they're like this. Something's wrong, folks. We laugh, but you're hurting on the inside. Something's wrong when we can sing God bless America with more fervor than we can say, God, thank you for amazing grace. Something is wrong when we get more entertainment from a football game than we do from the house of God. Oh, I'm about to preach myself happy. Amen? All right, listen. The last part of the song, and we're done. The mirror of His Word, reflections that I see, make me wonder why. You ever said that? God, why me? And furthermore, you should have given up on me a long time ago. But He loves me as I am and helps me when I pray. Remember, He's the potter. And I'm the clay. Mm. What a song. That song's called He's Still Working on Me. It's written by Joel Hemphill. Probably, I mean, Nat and I were probably 12, 13. First time we heard that song. And I'm like, whoo! That's me right there. He's still working on me. I really ought to be a sign upon my heart. Doesn't care if you're a preacher, a youth minister, choir director, no matter who you are. He's still working on you. But it's the purpose of His will that He's working out in your life. He that began... That work will be faithful to complete it in you. Hallelujah. There's your motivation for living for God. That's your motivation when you wake up tomorrow morning and you think your life has no meaning. The God of eternity chose you to be holy and blameless before Him in love. That's good stuff. Amen. Amen. All right. God bless you. I better... Six feet. Brother Eric. Six feet. (laughs) Got to be careful, right? No, seriously. Thank you for complying uh, because we should, and uh, be careful going out. Uh, we, we still won't do a, a, a normal visitation at this time, uh, not because we don't believe in invitations, because we do. Peter said, repent and believe and come to Christ. That's what we preach. However, I'll be down the hallway as you leave. A uh, couple of things. Please pray for Rick Wiles. His father passed away. Uh, Don Currence's mother passed away. You need to pray for Don. And Mr. Oni Williams died on Friday. Okay? And then I know Coach Mack is in the hospital. Because Dana let me know that. So pray for him. Uh, We had a lot of sickness going around. Okay? Lastly, I need 100 volunteers. I'm not telling you what it's for. (laughs) I'm not kidding. The only way you can sign up is to see Don. Now look. The first part... The first people that came in, first group, they didn't do well. Only eight people signed up. And many of them asked Don, what, what's this about? Why are you you got to trust your pastor. I'm telling you, it'll be a joy in your life, but I'm not going to say anything else. I need 100 volunteers. What I would rather it be is one adult per family. Okay? And it can be, I'd say, 18 and up. All right? But if we don't get 100, then uh, we'll talk to the younger people. Okay? But Don is out there. Uh, you just give your name and sign up. And in the next two weeks, you're going to find out why I ask you to volunteer. 
Okay? Seriously. 100 volunteers. All right. Y'all feel good? Remember what the Bible says, holy and blameless before him? If you want to be holy and blameless, you'll sign up. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so I need 100 volunteers. Don's in the back. Love each one of you. God bless you. Uh, be careful going out. Remember, there may be Sunday school classes coming out as well. But uh, God bless you. Hope you apply this to life. Let's pray. Father, you're good to us. Thank you for your word. And Lord, uh, we ask that we would uh, look into the mirror of the word of God and think about the reflections that we see. God, why would you ever save a sinner like me? God, help us. Help us, Lord. Uh, You are making us into what you would have us to be. And we thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In light of our message, let's sing together. Uh, Lord, prepare me to be that temple, pure and blameless before you. Let's sing together. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true. With thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary. God bless. Have a wonderful week.